0: All right, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis, chapter 12. I'm just not the microphone off, there we go. Remember, we're beginning this four and a half month theme of On Mission with God with a, a month and a half series on know what, knowing what God wants. Because ultimately, we've got to respond to the call of God. God has specific things that He wants First Baptist Nixon to do. Well, we need to figure those things out. We need to be uh, receptive when God calls us. We need to be obedient when God calls us. But we need to understand that that when God calls a person, when God calls a church, there are certain things that we must expect. This isn't an exhaustive list. But this is a good list from the life of, of Abraham and his call that will inform us and prepare us for what we can expect when, when God calls us. Uh, number one, maybe, I, I guess you could, we could say, and it's not really, it's subtle in the message today. It's, it's not one of the six realities. But I think inherent in all of this is that we can expect attacks. We can expect that Satan will do everything he can to block the people of God from doing what God has told them to do. And that, that is covered here, so if, or that is uh, inherent in this, in this message. So think about that as we look at some of these uh, different things that we can expect. It's not all bad, understand. Uh, but it's just something that we need to be able to, to look forward to, to expect. So turn to Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Normally, I would have the uh, passage on the screen, but uh, it's too big. It was too long. It was about that big up on the wall, and and it just wouldn't work for you. But follow along. We're really going to focus on 1 through 4. But 1 through 9 gives us the whole image. And then we're actually going to go back a little bit to the end of chapter 11, because it informs us of some some things as well. But let's read uh, 12, 1 through 9 of Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, "Get out from go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I'm sorry. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you." So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people he had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. But the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and worshipped him. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. So we kind of get the whole picture there. And that's good to, to lead us into to what's happening. Now let's get some, some background. We understand Abraham uh, Abram at this time, but later Abraham, was from Ur. In some places you see Abram of Ur. In other places you see that, like in 12, he's from Haran. Well, it it appears, this is just what we can figure, that actually Haran was his home. That's where they grew up. That's where his family was. If you look at the map at this time, the towns around that area are all named after Abram's grandfather and uncles and great-uncles. That whole area was obviously the, the home area of, of Abram and his father Terah and so on and so forth back through the, uh, back through the gen- generations. Ur was where they lived. Abram was a uh, very wealthy man even starting out. His, his family was obviously very wealthy, but they were also very obviously uh, shepherds. That was their, their, uh, their livelihood. That was how they got so wealthy. So as, at this time, a shepherd, especially a large family of large groups of livestock, would have moved back and forth constantly. And when he was called at one point, he had traveled from Haran, which is uh, up, if you've got Israel right here, Haran is way up here, and Ur is down here in modern-day Iraq. He had gone from Haran, made the trip down to Ur, at some point, grazing his flocks the whole way, and then probably came back up. So he was from this area. He was from Iraq, if uh, that helps you get, it, uh, get a modern-day picture of where Abraham was from. The other thing that we see here is that uh, apparently Abram was called, possibly anyway, was called twice. First in Ur and then in Haran. Acts 7-4 is Stephen's sermon right before he was stoned. And in that sermon, he said that Abram was called from Ur. And then here uh, and also in uh, Genesis 15:7 it tells us that as well. Here in 12:1 through 9 or 12:1 through 3 specifically, it says he was called from Haran. Apparently there were two calls and we're going to see this here in a second. We're going to see why there were two calls or why there's this apparent second call. It could very well have been that if you read Acts and you read Genesis 15:7 that the actual call of Abram Came in Haran. But the move from Ur up to Haran was all part of God's sovereign plan. Maybe there wasn't a specific call on Abraham in in Ur. Maybe it was just God's hand and they realized it after the fact. Either way doesn't really matter, but it sets us up for some one of our six realities of a call. So we need to understand that, that two things happened two places were home, and why were those two places home? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So the six realities of a call that we see here, and here's a, a map uh, to help you out a little bit. It's very hard to see, uh, as I see, but down here, let's see, I think it's better over here on this one, down here is Ur, and this would be Mesopotamia, the Tigris and the Euphrates River. This is the Fertile Crescent that you learned about in Western Civilization in seventh grade. This is where Abram started, Abraham and his family started. They traveled all the way up, and this is Haran. And then God called him while in Haran and told him to come down into the land that he he would show them. So that gives you a visual, help you out a little bit with your your, your, uh, Middle Eastern geography. Six realities of this call, though. First, first reality of a call that God puts on our lives is that it's going to require a major change. Uh, that was a major change, y'all. I, I tell people, when people ask around town, if I go somewhere and it comes up, well, you're new, yeah, why? I'm um, new pastor at First Baptist, and well, really, where'd you come from? Houston. Wow, that's different. Yeah, there are a few more people in, in Houston, um, then Nixon, but, you know, that was, that was a big change. This, I ain't got nothing on Abraham. That was a big change. We're talking, you know, we thought it was a pain to take a couple of weeks to move. He took months, possibly years, to get his herds all the way from Ur and that northern route that doesn't make a lot of sense except that Haran was his family home. Uh, that took time. That took a major, major change. So the call of God often requires a major change. Uh, Genesis 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, Get up and go. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram had to leave his home. Whether he considered Ur home or whether he considered Haran home, he had to leave his home. He had to leave not just his home, he had to leave his family. See, understand in these days, uh Abram's dad, Terah, was still alive. Terah was the head of the house, and that house included Abram and all of his brothers and sisters. So as long as Terah was alive. He was in charge of pretty much what everybody else did. They were expected to stick around. They could have their own families, and they did. But they were expected to stick around and take part in the family business until Terah died. And then the boys could split off and start their own family groups. They could stay together as one unit. Then they had options. As long as Terah was still alive, they had no options. And here we see that Terah is still alive. I'm having trouble with this thing today. We see that Terah is still alive. He didn't die until, oh, years after Abram left. So for Abram to leave his family was a big deal. But it's not uncommon. It's not outside the realm of possibility. As a matter of fact, Matthew 10:37, Jesus said, the person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, we have to understand that the call of God may call us to leave people that we love. People that love us. And they may not understand what's going on. They may not understand what God is doing or even why he's doing it. The third thing that Abram had to leave was culture. That doesn't sound like a big, a big deal. Until you remember that all of his family were polytheists. They believed in multiple gods. They believed in the the Babylonian gods, most likely uh, at this time. Uh, He was being called not to believe in uh, all those gods, but to believe in one God. He was being called from something he had grown up with to... Now suddenly, at 75 years of age, I'm the only God. Worship me now. None of these others. There's not another God. It's just me. I'm all that's here. They've all been wrong. You know what's right now. That's a big deal. Go home today and tell your, your entire family, the extended family, all your your brothers and sisters and your nieces and nephews and the cousins that are probably there too, go ahead and tell them everything they've taught you all your life is wrong. And see if they go, oh, well, that's great that you think that. They're not going to. They're going to react angrily, to put it mildly. So for Abram to to go home and say, hey, guess what? Y'all are wrong. I'm sorry, there aren't many gods, there's one. That was a big deal. For uh, Dr. Kaner, who came a few weeks ago to tell his dad, yeah, I know you raised me Muslim, and I know we think that is it and there's nothing else. It's wrong. That was a big deal. So the call requires major change. He had to leave his comfort. You know, he didn't have to be the head of the house. At this time, Terah was still the head of the house. I'm sure he was a very responsible son and, and, and took his duties um, to heart, but he, he could kind of, well, it's dad's thing. This is dad's business. I just do what I'm told. And No, now he's out on his own at a time where he probably didn't expect to be. Even at 75, I know we have trouble with these ages, but even at 75 and he lived with his 130-year-old dad who was still in charge of everything, uh... That was easier than branching out on his own. He left security. The family business versus me running it. Living here with all my brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews versus me going out and taking Sarai and Lot, the only family I've got left, and Sarah can't have kids. So I'm leaving my security. I'm leaving what I'm used to. I'm leaving what would likely be the inheritors of my estate, except I'm taking Lot, you know, maybe he'll probably get it. Or Eleazar, his servant, as we're going to see, talk about later in in another message. But the last thing we need to see here, the last major change that it requires, is more faith. Because all these things are daunting. Moving somewhere, leaving home, leaving the security, leaving the comfort, going from this religion that I have grown up with, that all of my fathers and forefathers, as Joshua says later, are you going to worship the gods over there that your forefathers worshipped? Or are you going to worship the true God? And he goes on to say, as for me in my house, we will worship the Lord. Well, Abraham said that, but he told it not to his forefathers, but to his father. You can worship those gods, but as for me... In my house, Dad, we, we will worship the Lord. And that took faith. That's the first reality of a call. It requires major change. Second reality of a call is that the call can be usurped, somebody can take over that call. What do I mean? Turn back to uh, chapter 11, and you may have to not have to turn, and look at verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, who was Haran's son. Haran is Abraham's brother. And his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Canaan, and here's the kicker, y'all. When they came to Canaan, I'm sorry, when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. You see, they left Ur, and you remember I said, was there a call in Ur, or was it just God's guidance? That doesn't matter. But what does matter is that it appears that Abram knew when they left Ur, something was going on. And when they got to Haran, the Bible says they settled there. See, Terah decided Haran was better than Ur, and very likely better than Canaan. We're going to stick around here in, in Haran. We're not moving on to Canaan. See, the call of God, there is always, always somebody that's going to know better. There's always somebody that's going to say, I know what you think God said, but let me tell you why that's a bad idea. I know what what you think God told you to do, but let me me tell you why it's not going to work. Let me tell you why you don't have enough faith, or you don't have enough money, or you don't have enough whatever, or why it can't be done, or why it's too hard, or it's a waste of your time. There will be somebody that's going to step in and usurp the call. Or maybe it's not even that big a deal. You know, for Tara to say... Let's stop here in Haran. Maybe he said it this way. Maybe he said, yeah, I know we've got to go to Canaan, Abram. I know you, you heard that call in Ur. And I know very likely you've heard it again here. Let's go to Mara. Let's, let's wait a little bit. Because, because right now, you know, the, the flocks are tired. We need to hire some more workers. We need, uh, we need to repair our tents. We need to get more camels so we can travel. You know, we need to make all these preparations. So I, n- I know what God called you to do, Abram. Let's just, let's just wait. Just wait a little while. And it sounds like good advice, doesn't it? I mean, we would say, well, that's just practical, you know, that, that, that's, you need to think it's logical. Of course, if you don't have the money now, you wait and you do it later, right? Of course, if you don't have the resources now, you wait and you do it later. Of course, if, if you don't have the, the, the people, the manpower, well, you just you wait and you do it later. Absolutely you do, if God told you to wait and do it later. But if God told Abram, get up and go then there can be no waiting. There can be no doing it later. It doesn't work that way. And that's what Abram knew. And that's why I believe Abram was aware of the call in Ur, but the actual call came in Haran when God said, okay, now Abram, you, you knew what was coming. You knew I was calling you out of Ur. You knew I had great plans for you. Guess what? Now that you're in Haran, you're settled. You think, you know, this is, this is what your dad says. I'm telling you, get up and go. So the second reality of a call is that there, the call can often be usurped. Uh, the third reality of the call is that there are often very few details. Look at uh, 12.1. The Lord said to Abram, Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, To the land that I will show you. Verse two immediately goes into the promises. This is what's going to happen. These are the things that are going to happen in your life later on. But but where are the details, God? Okay, get out, get up, and go from my land. Like when? I mean now, next week, next month. Oh well, okay. You just told me, so I guess now. Where am I going? Uh, How am I going to get there? Who should I take? Uh, do, what, what preparations do I need to make? Do I need to call ahead and, and make some reservations at a hotel? Do I, what, what are we going to do when we get there? How's this? You, you see all the details? I mean, think about it. If, if God told you tomorrow to leave Nixon and that was it, which direction? How, why do you? God? I, need, I really need some help. Very rarely in the Bible does God give us all the details at the beginning. See, it would be nice, but it's very rarely forthcoming. God knows the details. uh, Reality number one, remember the last thing that should change is our faith. We should have more of it. Well, here we go. God says, I want your church... To reach an unengaged people group. I want your church, First Baptist Nixon, of 60-ish people every Sunday to become a mission-sending organization so that you are the one sending missionaries to some people group who has never heard the gospel. All right, God, when? How? Who? Where, <laughs> even, at this point? And the details just aren't forthcoming. God says, you know what? You prepare your heart. You know what I've called you to do. Now wait and see what I'm going to do through you. If the answer is to wait. If he's saying wait. Because he might be saying go, y'all. He might be saying the time is now. Don't wait. Get off your haunches and let's go. And then we have to be ready to go. See, the details aren't always there for us, but the faith the God who called us is always there for us. Number four, fourth reality of a call is that the results always depend on God. Twelve one through 3, verse 7. Look at those excerpts. That's not all the verses. The Lord said to Abraham, I will show, I will make, I will bless, I will make, I will bless, I will curse through you, I will give. Who's acting in that verse? It ain't Abraham. Abraham's not the one doing, Abraham is the one who is obedient. Abraham is the one who got up and left. And God says, Your obedience will lead to these things. How, God? How's it going to lead to these things? How am I going to do this? No, no, no. God says, you just focus on how I'm going to do this. You focus on what I told you, and you let me take care of the details. See, even in the through you right here, even in through you, Abraham is passive. God will bless through him. He'll be some sort of tube, but that's about it. I mean, when, when we get water in our house, do we blame it on... I mean, are, are, we, uh, are we getting the, the actual tube, the, the PVC pipe, or are we getting the water? Is, does, yeah, there's some dependency on the tube, but we can also always dig a new trench and lay a new pipe. We're dependent on the city to get us the water, and, 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 and the water comes out of the house. The blessing will pass through Abraham... I don't know how things are going to work out. As we move forward, as we seek God's will, as we want to be on mission with God, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if we will succeed. That stinks, right? If God tells us to do it, then we're going to be um, an amazing force for missions in the world. Very, very possibly. But what if, just what if, our part isn't to see hundreds or thousands come to Christ because of our presence. What if, what if it turns out that our role in reaching the Ainu of Japan, if our role is merely to open the doors to some other church, some other group, maybe we did the hard work. Maybe, maybe wouldn't that stink? I mean, wouldn't, if, if we spent three or four years studying this group and figuring out how we could get to this group and, you know, some of us learned a language and we raised money and we raised support and we took flights and we went over there and we did hard, hard legwork And then suddenly some other group comes in behind us and kind of skirts through on our hard work, our foundation. And they see this harvest that we never got to see. Wouldn't that stink? Kind of. But maybe that's what God called us to. Maybe we're supposed to do the hard work. Maybe, maybe we're the seed planters, or maybe we don't even get to plant the seed. Maybe we plow, or, or maybe we got to cut the sod. You know, I don't know what our part is going to be. But Paul said, why are we arguing about who did what? Some watered, some, uh, some planted, some watered, some reaped the harvest. Who cares? There was a harvest. So, the results are God's. We can't go in with preconceived notions. We can't go in with, to any mission endeavor thinking, this is what has to happen for us to be successful. You know what has to happen for us to be, accept- uh, uh, for us to be successful? is for us to be obedient, pure and simple. That is success in the Christian life. The results depend on God. Number five, the call demands obedience. Oh, sorry. A little history for you. Um, this verse here, the blessing, the, the cursing, the, the giving, this reverses what happened at Babel. Remember Babel, everyone was separated, the languages were confused, and they all went out and made formed different countries. And then, over time, they they had their own cities their own cultures and God says here through this one man all those nations that resulted I'm gonna bring back together not in the unity that they once had or once wanted but I'm gonna do something in their lives through you Abraham all nations will be blessed and the the description was you had the beginning of time Adam and Eve then you had this growing population and then this explosion, and that's when they were spread out at Babel. And then it narrowed down to this one man, Abraham. All of history comes down to him and follows that line on to Jesus, who is then the one that blesses all nations. So, so to give you this kind of overarching view, you know, the, the Bible all goes together, remember? Uh, so to understand what, what's going on here in Abram's life and what God is doing. Because, as I said, we will play a part. And we have a specific part. But others are going to play parts as well. Over time, down through the years, God's going to do something that is bringing the nations together. And we need to be willing to to do whatever our part is. Regardless of what we think the results ought to be. So number five, uh, the call demands obedience. Verse four, so Abram went... As the, as the Lord had told him. That's it. I mean, he just went. Despite those previous four things, those four realities, the fact that it required a major change, the fact that his call could be usurped and, and was for a while, that there were very few details, uh, that the results depended on God because Abram had no details, he was obedient. And, and what's interesting is we have no record here of a spoken answer. We just have obedience. It just says that God told him to go, and Abram, over how, however long it took him to pack up, he left. Are we? Are we that obedient? It's a big question, folks. It's a hard question, folks. Are we that obedient? we've got all kinds of reasons why. Uh, there are all kinds of circumstances. Abraham had them too. Um, I mean, he was 75. That, that slows you down, I understand. Um, somewhat. The, uh, there were Canaanites living where he was going. Um, remember, in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. Ha! God, you realize I'm 75. Sarai, at this point, is uh, 66, and she, she can't have kids. You're going to make me a great nation? Yeah, all right. We'll see. See, the circumstances were that none of these promises could come true, the circumstances were that, that he couldn't do it, he was too old. The circumstances were, he had no details. But the circumstances were that Abram was obedient regardless of everything in life that was telling him he couldn't be. Obedience requires ignoring our logic. Obedience requires often ignoring what appears practical we do not serve a practical God when it comes to reaching the nations we do not serve a practical God that uh, when it comes to obedience see we we serve a God who who demands radical obedience not practical obedience we serve a God who for reasons none of them could figure out told the disciples leader Jesus to submit to crucifixion wait a minute God this goes against everything that we expect Jesus to be and God says you know what it's not about what you expect Jesus to be God, we can't... Abram could have said, God, I can't go because I'm too old. I can't do this kind of traveling anymore. I can't do this kind of work. We're not going to be a great nation. I'm too old. She can't have kids. How is this going to work, God? No, you focus on the God you serve, not the stuff around you. First Baptist Nixon, no, God, we can't do this. We're a small church. We're in a small town. We don't have what First Baptist Houston has. We don't have what any other First Baptist or uh, Second Baptist or whatever of big cities has. Lord, we can't do what you've called us to do because we look around us and we see what we don't have. And God says, I see what you do have. Now, shut up and follow me. He doesn't say shut up. I, I kind of wish he would sometimes. I think the forcefulness would get our attention more. But he does say, be obedient and watch, watch what I can do. Despite the circumstances. And, and, and the third thing we see here is that uh, often the call demands things that seem to deny the call. Getting really mad at this microphone this week. Look at uh, Genesis 22. See, Genesis 22, for Abraham, was the end of the promises. It's over. Because God told Abraham, in verse 2 of, of chapter 22, take your son, your only son, the son you love, go to the land of Moriah, and, and, and you're going you're to offer a burnt offering. You're, uh, you're going to do, do this for me. Okay. So he goes. He left early in the morning. Keep going. Verse 7. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, Father, here I am, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? God himself will provide the lamb. Abraham said. You see the faith already? Abraham was told to go sacrifice his son. And on the way there, Isaac, smart kid, says, we're missing something here. And and rather than tell him, and I guess it's a good thing, well, you're you're the sacrifice boy. Um, He says, God will provide the lamb. God's going to work it out. I don't understand the circumstances, Isaac. I know your, your half-brother, Ishmael, is not the promise. We messed that up. Thought he would be, but he's not. We got in the way of God. We were going to fix things for God. You're the promise, Isaac. You're, you are the nation that I will have. And God just told me to sacrifice you. Give up the very thing... That I've wanted my whole life, and the very thing that God promised me, Isaac, you are part of the call that I got back in Haran, and now God's saying something that 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 interferes with the call, Isaac. I don't understand, boy. Um, but I tell you what I do know. God's going to provide a lamb. God's going to provide a sacrifice. They arrived, verse 9. Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. He was going through with it. He was going to do it. He was going to end the call. He was going to do something that made no sense to him. That was going to completely mess up everything he thought he had understood for the past 25, oh, at this point, for the past 35 to 40 years. Why? Because God said to But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. And that was the sacrifice. You see, as we look at the call of God on our lives... There are going to be so many times that we think, okay, God, you know, I know you're telling me to do this, but how does this fit what you told me to do a year ago, two years ago? God, doesn't this mess it all up? Doesn't this throw some sort of monkey wrench into the plan? And God's thinking, you think monkey wrenches bother me? You, you, you think I've got monkey wrenches? Just. Obedience. To the point of sacrificing what we think is the very promise. Obedience. 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 The details are coming, or they're not. But the obedience needs to start now. The sixth reality of the call is the timing is all God's. And this is the most important frustrating, hair-pulling, come on, God, why can't you do it differently, part of the whole thing, is that the timing is all God's. See, the call of Abraham came around 2000 B.C. Lots of debate, who cares? For our purposes today, we're going to say the call of Abraham came around 2000 B.C. Let's see when these promises were fulfilled for uh, for Abraham. Um... He became a great nation. When did that happen? Ishmael, he had 12 years after the call. Isaac, he had 25 years after the call. He had six children with uh, his second wife, Keturah, who, after Sarah uh, Sarah had died, 50 to 60 years after the call. Uh, The Exodus happened around 1400 B.C., that was when they were a very large nation the million-and-a-half folks came out of egypt uh... six hundred years later saul and david when the united kingdom had its most power was at its most glorious was nine uh... one thousand bc actually israel the northern kingdom after the split was the most powerful kingdom and really in the history of Israel, became its wealthiest, its, uh, its mightiest, under the leadership of a very evil king named Omri in 900 B.C. So the nation happened, oh, 1,100 years after the call, after the promise. The bless you, the, the material blessings that Abram was told he would get, about four to five years after the call. The, uh, his name great was eight to ten years later when he saved Lot and he became, uh, that's in Genesis 14 I believe, when he saved Lot and uh, fought some kings and visited Salem and, and gave a tenth of the spoils to Melchizedek. That was eight to ten years after the call. Through the earth you will be blessed 2,000 years uh, when Jesus was born and died. See, the the timing is all God's. And sometimes we really think God's timing stinks. I mean, Abram waited. Abraham, he didn't get to wait. He didn't see the nations blessed because of him. Not fully. Jesus was 2,000 years later. I go back to what if we're only supposed to plow the ground or, or, or cut the sod? What if our success is defined by how we prepare the land for those who will later plant the seed? What if God tells us, through you, First Baptist Nixon, the Aymara of Argentina will become a phenomenal mission-sending group following Jesus Christ through you. But it's not going to be for 500 years. What if we knew that going in? Would we still do it? I dare say a lot of us would say, well, I'm not going to see it, so what's the point? I'd be tempted. Now, I think that's why God doesn't give us the time frame. God calls for us to be obedient. Pure and simple. The reality is, or the realities are, it's going to require change. It's going to require a change of mindset. It's going to require a change of action. There are going to be those that come in and tell us, those among us, maybe even right now, that say this can't be done, God's not calling you to do that. And if He is, just wait. Just hold on. Yeah, we'll do it later. We're not ready right now. We can't do it right now. We can't do it at all. Uh, there aren't going to be many details. I mean, if you, if you just think about reaching an unreached people group, unreached people group means there's no gospel presence there, there's no church there, and we're going to be the ones to go in. How do you do that? Hmm? That's part of the process. Very few details. The results depend on God. Did you get the obedience part? Because it's demanded. And the timing is all God's. But see, the thing is, God's calling you now. And what must we do? We must admit that we're a sinner. See, He's calling an individual right now. Just like I said last week, we can't know God's will until we know God's salvation. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he he died on the cross for your sins. That your faith is enough to save you and that that is all you need. And then confess that you trust Jesus. Confess with your mouth. Confess by coming forward. Confess through baptism. Confess by your life that you are a new creation. And then what must we do? We must be saved. Let's stop there for a second. If there's someone here that doesn't know him as Savior today, today's your shot. It's not your only shot, but y'all, it could be. You don't know. So let's pray. And let's ask God how he's working on your life this morning. Lord, I lift up those to you who are here this morning, Lord, that have heard your word. And I ask that hearts will change this morning. I ask that... uh, you would move in a mighty way on the hearts here. Lord, if there is someone who does not know you as Savior, make today their day, Lord. Draw them to you. Don't let them fight it off any longer. Lord, if other decisions need to be made, we pray that this morning those decisions will be made. Move among this place, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what must you do? What is your decision today? Do you need to accept Christ? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be used uh, according to His purpose? Is He calling you to even now commit to things that you don't know that, what you're committing to? Is He calling you? Is He calling you to, jo- uh, to join FBC this morning? To become a part of our membership? couple of our deacons are going to come forward. We're going to sing uh, an invitation hymn. If a decision, if God has led you into this decision this morning, come forward. Talk to one of the deacons. If you don't want to do that, fill it out on the connection card. Come see me after church. Let's talk about what God is doing in your life.